Hello, before we get started on today's episode, just a few quick thank yous to get out of the way. First and foremost, thank you for the year 2021. In 2021, we were able to launch our passion project, Cinematic Rewind. We had been working on this podcast since October of 2020, and we were finally able to release episodes starting in January of 2021. Some of you have been here since the beginning, and for those in particular, thank you. Some of you found us along the way and continue to stick with us. Again, thank you. And some of you may tune in for one episode, maybe in fact this episode, and this is the message you're hearing right now. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you stay, but I just hope you enjoy the content. Each and every single one of you means the world to me for multiple reasons. You support something I'm very passionate about and something I love doing, and i just blown away that some of you enjoy the content that we create here. So from everyone here at Cinematic Rewind Studios, thank you. So here's some of what you guys did. Over the course of a year, you guys listened 1,151 times to our podcast across 48 episodes, including this one. And you listened in 29 different countries. You guys are insane. Thank you. I, I can't say that enough. What a year. So for the final episode of this year, today's episode is Mrs. Doubtfire starring Robin Williams. Enjoy the show. Happy New Year. Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Cinematic Rewind. Joining me today to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire is Cookie. Ooh. And Regent. Hello. <laughs> All right. Mrs. Doubtfire was released in 1993, has a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, has a 72 on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 53 on Metacritic. I watched this for the first time Monday night. Loved it thought it was great it was funny had a nice balance of comedy story character growth and an actual plot and it was good to see robin williams in something i hadn't seen him in anything in a while i hadn't watched any of his movies in a while so it was nice to go back and watch one of his so it was a good walk back down memory lane this was the first time i watched it and i think i have an excellent idea why i wasn't allowed to watching why i wasn't allowed to watch it growing up so we'll definitely get into that later on Regent and Cookie, I want to ask you guys this question. I'll start with you first. Regent, how did you first come across this film? It's the classic case of you walking down memory lane while Cookie and I grew up with this man. This man is the epitome of what good comedy, but also good family movies were about. Like, he had everything going for him. This particular movie, I mean, I'm pretty sure, okay, I was five when it came out, so that's good. So I would have been able to have gone to see it in movies or knowing my parents when they bought on VHS is when I was able to first really watch it. Other movies of his, you probably can name a movie of his and I probably have watched it. That is how much impact this man has had my entire life gotcha gotcha what about you cookie wow i can say it's very very similar to regent i swear in the 90s especially in early 2000s robin williams was just dropping bangers back to back 
especially for childhood watching. You could argue definitely quite a bit of movies were still more for adults, even something like this considered PG-13, but it was still balanced well enough that someone pretty young could still enjoy it. And I was definitely in that boat. This was one of those movies that I've talked about this before in a podcast where at school we had opportunities where we could watch VHS tapes on slow days. Like, hey, we're ahead of our curriculum. Let's take a Friday off. Just watch a movie. Any student can bring whatever they want and we'll vote on it. This is how I watched that movie originally. I think I might have watched it with my family on Blockbuster tape, but most of my memory is watching it a couple times throughout my school years, especially in elementary and middle school. Unfortunately, I didn't rewatch it again until now. So we're talking about pretty much 20 years. And I have to say, I am ashamed of myself because I had a good time rewatching this that I actually might pick up a copy soon to have because the movie made more sense to me. I picked up more jokes and just the geniusness of Robin Williams really shined in this film. And it's really excellent. It really is. This is such a good film. And I 100% agree with you. Robin Williams definitely shines in this film in so many different aspects. You get to see the serious acting chops of his. You get to see his comedic work and how he can slip into any role slash voice that he needs to do for whatever role that they've given him. And you just get to see him come alive in this role. And it's great. So I think I can nail down exactly why I wasn't allowed to watch this film. I haven't asked directly, but I want to see if you guys can guess why. Was it that him dressing up as a woman was kind of considered like cross-dressing or something like that? Because I know sometimes in certain demographics that can kind of seem I think that may have played a part in it. I don't know if the term cross-dressing is like a term people use anymore. I think they just call it drag now. Well, for me growing up, I'm sorry, I'm 30 years old, not to offend anybody out there. But for me, that's why I'm pointing that out. In that time period, that's what that was called, though. So I can definitely understand that term change. I don't even know if that's considered offensive. So I'm sorry, I didn't didn't know that part. But that was the term used back then. Just, you know, if I had to take a shot in the dark, knowing you and what you've expressed to us off recording about your upbringing, I would have to bet with the 90s, the topic of divorce. Mm, okay so i actually happened to think it was the gay couple in the film oh his brother yeah mrs dalfire's brother and his domestic partner oh. mm -hmm. that and then the ability that they had to actually get him to dress up in drag to do this task per se so i think it was a mix between that the sexual content in the film but maybe divorce as well i'm not sure about that i hadn't thought about that before so good points from both of you but i definitely think it was the gay couple in the film yeah, growing up, that really wasn't brought up that much. I know for the whole drag piece in the world of comedy, that was being a little bit more normalized because we saw different shows where men had put on women's clothing and so forth, especially dressing up as like an older woman. Surprising, I have to say, it never came up for me. I grew up in some areas where if that was an issue, somebody definitely would have pointed out. But I guess like the film handled it so well that it never felt forced or it never felt like it just felt so normal. That's where I'm just pretty much trying to get at is that I think it was awesome how the, the film did it because even the film itself never made it an issue. It was normal, just like any old person. That's their personality. That's who they are. This is what their thing is. And he came to his brother for help. His brother helped him out. It was a fun story. So I, I actually commend the writing and the directors on that because, yeah, from a display standpoint, it never popped up into me that it was something I'd have to agree all. with that because like growing up as a kid and seeing this movie several times over I never once batted a thought that they were partners I always took it as was his brother and like his friend or someone who's skillful in 
mask production and prosthetics to create that character or alias. Now, granted, our age group against our parental's age group when this movie came out, and with the times, you know, changing, evolving, expanding, I can see where that can come into play from their generation. But at least for like ours growing up, like you said, it never felt forced. It felt natural. It felt it flowed within the movie for what it did. It served its purpose. So like, yeah, I never saw it that way, nor did I ever understood that way and learned how to rewatch it again for this episode yeah i am in the same boat i didn't point it my brain didn't make the connection that that was a possibility of why i wasn't allowed to watch it until my roommate is just like maybe that's why your parents didn't let you watch it and i was like oh you're right maybe that is why and you know what as much as i love my family i can see where certain people who's bothered by that would definitely that would stand out for them, you know what i mean and that's what i'm just thinking of good examples is like yeah for people who might have been bothered about that seeing that on screen because i mean let's be honest even in 2021 we still see that in the media sometimes where people still get bothered seeing certain things on screen that's kind of the point is for those people who get bothered by that that sticks out and for the rest of us we're just like wait what are you talking about was, was like, that something? i didn't notice it like i knew they were definitely gay but it never made the connection that it was something standout worthy. But now that I think about it, that's actually pretty progressive for a 1990s film to have a Disney film of all things. Technically, it wasn't Not at the Disney. time. No, it was still it was it was Fox Entertainment because it was 20th Century Fox. Uh, OK, that makes a lot more sense. But to your point, though, that's still credit to them because they made such a Disney-like type of film. They made a Disney-esque film with Robin Williams. So a lot of people are going to go see it. And it's short, small representation. But in that regards, it's still representation for that group. Since we're on that, I do want to just get a quick question out there because you brought something up. Do you think Disney would have allowed that to Mm, be in their film? 90s, probably not. I agree with you on that. Not to make a argument about that, just it's very interesting to think about how things have changed over time. But yeah, I think Disney would have had a scale where it was like, look, we already got a man dressing up as a woman. That's all you're going to get out of us. <laughs> you know, like We're not going to give you nothing else. Everything else is on that point, too. Speaking about the ending of the movie, I bet Disney would have had them get and back together. I want to talk about that because, yes, it's sad that a divorce happened. And yes... It's sad that the kids' parents went separate ways, but it's had a more important message there that it's like the message was it's not the kids' fault. Like that sentiment is echoed throughout the film is like it's not your fault there's nothing you could do don't blame yourself and i think it's in if it had been in disney's hand you're right that would have been taken away and the message of the film would have just been lost it would be try harder get back together separate actually talk which yes talk communicate but if it's a marriage it's not going to work it's not going to work yeah and it, it's a rough message because I mean 30 years later here we are we're still dealing with that as a society I don't want to make it sound so sad like it's grown it's become a little bit more normalized take it however it is positive or negative but to the point of where I'm trying to get at is with this film with the way they attack the subject matter I like the fact that they made it seem pretty real if you take out the the whole aspect of him becoming Miss Doubtfire everything else is pretty spot on to what typically happens and to me the ending is more true to what that story would be told as is that just because she saw him be more passionate about his kids and clean up his act that doesn't make up for i'm just assuming it was around about 15 years of marriage that just doesn't make up for that much time that brought them to to the point that they finally caved 
and had a divorce. So I do appreciate that it was like what you said, it was the children. At the end, the children are still the focus. The parents are like, we can find a balance where we can work together to still raise these kids, but we're going to live separate lives. And then you see how happy the kids are at the end. And I don't feel like it tried to normalize or try to show divorce is awesome. I don't feel like that had any impact. It was just pointing out that if you have to unfortunately go through this path, there is still a positivity for the family to still get out of this. It's not and I think the end it gives an important message to the parents as well. Like you have to ensure that you prioritize your children as well as yourself. Like prioritize the fact that they know that they're not to blame. Because as a kid, I know I blame myself for a lot of things, things that definitely were out of my control. That's just kids' nature. So the film handled that well. What do you think, Regent, how the film managed to balance a movie about divorce, comedy, and the message about the children? Moderation is key. I mean, they didn't beat it into the ground. I mean, you could tell the, in the interactions with Mrs. Doubtfire and Miranda, that's when you could tell, like, there was remnants of the situation that happened with the divorce and then going through the finalization. You know, as, as we've seen in the movie, Robin, as his character Daniel, fine to be a part of his kids' lives. Even he was telling telling the kids, like, it's not it's not their fault. They're not the cause of this. It's between the parents. That's genuinely a serious topic in the movie, but I think they handled it very well. The comedy was a great way to take our minds off of it in the scenes and remind us that it's still a movie to have fun in, but then still remind us that there is still parts of the movie where there are serious topics, but they don't drag it through the mud where it's the whole two-hour runtime of the movie. So moderation was key, and they did that very fluidly, and it turned out very well. Yeah, they definitely did a great job of balancing humor and seriousness. I do want to bring out something that I feel might be a little bit more controversial, depending on how you feel about divorce and the court system, because I feel like this kind of bridges into the next piece. I was really annoyed with how the court system treated him in the movie, but I also feel like that was actually pretty spot on with how they would have treated him, which is also why it's unfortunate for court. So that's not, I'm not saying it's bad writing. I'm more pointing out in my own personal life, I have a issue with a lot of the court system when it comes to fathers. I feel like the movie did kind of shine light on that part too but back to the movie though i do feel like especially in the beginning i felt like there was almost too much harshness against the father because even the kids were saying like dad do better but not necessarily like in his personal life it was like try harder to try to spend more time with us try to push harder and it really felt hard to watch that because it was like i mean when you watch how hard he did try to fight in the court system it was like what more could he do and then when he goes home and the kids are like try harder i was annoyed by it from watching it because i was like dang ain't nobody gonna get on the mom's case <laughs> like the kids are not gonna go to the mom like hey mom can you give dad a break but it was always like hey father do better try harder try to be around us even more even though he actually is legitimately trying and there's just walls he can't cross that unfortunately his ex-wife and her lawyer are putting up these walls and which is starting to remind me of one of our earlier podcasts oh, marriage shit, story. You're right it does remind me of marriage story a little bit damn but no i i feel that like the whole movie intro did feel very harsh towards the character of david and how he's actually trying his best to actually get to spend time with his kids and i i know people who have had these types of court battles to where they're going in to fight to have any custody of their kids even supervised visits really and the court favors in full custody for the mother and it's unfortunate because i do know cases personally friends of mine that have had this happen to them 
Yeah. And not to go too much longer on it, but, and I'm not speaking on the cases where like there's a deadbeat dad or like abusive situation. This is just like in this movie, even though this is fiction, it's still true to this day is that it could be something as what happened in the movie, which is the wife, she's had it. She wants to focus on her career. She feels like he's holding her back or he's like a negative onto her life. Okay. That's understandable. You want to pursue your own set of happiness. Why is it like a middle finger to him then, especially when it comes to his children? And he's like, Hey, since day one, I've been with these kids every single day. I mean, that's just there's a lot of love that's there so why does the divorce has to be almost like a i can't think of the thing i'm, I'm talking about but like torture him for it because you you ended up not being happy i don't know that. man it's just it sucks to watch yeah but there is a lot more stuff in the film so i feel like we covered probably the heaviest part so we can move on to the funny speaking parts. on that one of the best scenes in the film is where he's just calling the phone and just do it using all these different voices to try and get her to really go after the one that he's actually going to call in as yeah <laughs> that was so Hearing much fun all of his different voices and then he's finally just like calls in his mrs Delfire, and it's great on that, here's some fun stuff I found out about the film related to that. In true to Robin Williams fashion, at this point, he's well established that he can do this stuff. The director, what he would do is he would set up three cameras for Robin Williams because he does he did so much improvisation of his scenes. And he would actually do almost like 20 takes, maybe even more. And what it would be is the first three to four would be straight from script. Like, hey, do what we have written. After that, that they would just, hey, go do your thing. Be Robin Williams. And we saw a lot of that in the movie. And most of the movie is actually a lot of his scenes that he improvised. And another kicker, this is the part I might look up one day, is that there's actually over 30 minutes of the film that was cut out. And it's on the like the physical copy releases of the film. You can actually see the deleted scenes. But over 30 minutes, the movie was about to be two and a half That's hours insane. long. Yeah. And think about it. That's 30 minutes that they cleared they were like we like these scenes so you can only imagine how much more that was cut out got another kicker for you in department for everybody robert williams <laughs> if you know his humor he definitely has some dark humor and he can go to places they had so much content from this man that they could have made a r-rated version of this film but they wanted to stick to oh. pg-13 could you imagine if this film was R-rated in some of the stuff? There was just so many opportunities where it could have been even worse jokes <laughs> than they approved well, of for the speaking film. Speaking on his humor and the levels he'll go to to achieve it, the scene where Pierce Brosnan's choking on his shrimp, Ron Williams was very much doing what Jim Carrey does in his movies, was trying to make actors and the production team break into laughter. What he would do is he would whisper inappropriate and suggestive comments into Pierce Brosnan's ear to try to get him off track from focusing on choking on the shrimp to try to literally choke to be more realistic oh yeah <laughs> i could see that in the film it was pretty spot on and think about earlier before he started choking was when same dinner table when the wife had left or i should say ex-wife when she had left to go to the restroom or something and it was just those two and all the things he said about like i don't, I don't want to sell all the jokes but it was you know all the dirty jokes he was saying all the sexual innuos like that was a good example and because i knew that was coming up this time around i definitely looked more at pierce brosnan's face and you could just see how much you he was one power tool joke oh he had a bunch oh of i know jokes. that one's my personal favorite because he sees the realization dawning on him he's like oh dear god what have, what have we done yeah exactly <laughs> robin williams just 
in his natural territory, just going crazy, waiting for him to break oh, a yeah. smile. Love to see it. I always love it when an actor, especially a comedic actor, can just absolutely improv an entire scene to where the director's just like, okay, yeah, we're going to use that one. Yeah, especially when it's far from what they've written in the script, which ultimately is what happened to this film. The final version is way different than the beginning one. The original script actually was going to have Robin Williams' character. So Daniel, he was actually going to have a love interest instead of the wife. And it was going to be a darker tone. And they were going to emphasize more about the dark side of divorce. So we, as we just talked in the beginning, it got pretty heavy. But thankfully, that's only spread out. As Regent said, they did that in just little bits. They made sure to sprinkle it out. But in the original one that's ultimately what more of the film was going to be about i'll be honest with you after watching this now probably for the fourth or fifth time the divorce doesn't really feel like the movie it just feels like a subplot more like a catalyst to have created everything the movie went by but i really feel like it's more about and i would family. agree with you it definitely feels like a movie about family about spending time with one another and always making sure that you do whatever you can for your family. There's definitely so much in this film that I enjoyed. I actually very much enjoyed the sequence of him trying to get into the shape of Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, what face do I use? What wig do I use? What do I want to look like, sound like? So that I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, that was another one that was good. I could only imagine how many takes they had for that. I heard that they they had even more like more extreme ones than they had in the film that was cut out. And one of them was like he was a Jewish woman. It was a lot more references and jokes related to the Jewish culture that with that background, you probably get more of the jokes. I, I don't know. I don't think it was offensive type of jokes, but to the point, though, I think that's probably why they took it out is that it was only going to be like a limited audience that would get that joke. Or maybe it could have came off offensive. But thankfully, Robin Williams is such a good actor that even when he does other people's voices or portrays as other characters he does it so tastefully that it doesn't feel like it's being I haven't offensive. seen enough of his actual comedy improv I've seen a few of his movies please don't come after me but I haven't seen him do a lot of improv maybe I have and never known it I thoroughly enjoyed all of the improv work and you can definitely see it in this film there's a lot of times where there's just like jump cut after jump cut of him doing a bunch of different things so you can definitely tell he's going off script either a little bit or or a lot. One of my favorite scenes that I picked up more on this time around was when he went to the office about visitation, where he met that woman with the glasses and she was asking about his talents. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I can do different types of things. That was a perfect example where they had so many cuts. Like you can tell that it was spliced together, but it was such good performances that you just don't care. And one of my favorite things is the last one. He was like, oh, yeah, and I can pretend to be a hot dog. And then he just leans back and smiles. I busted out laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like I had to pause the movie that was so funny here i'm a hot dog <laughs> <laughs> just the fact that he just like absolutely rolls down creates a nice little double chin for himself <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man there was another great improv scene that you might have, you might could have put together was improvised, but I actually didn't know it was. The scene where, once again, the woman with the visitation, she comes over. This is the first time that it was the whole Mrs. Doubtfire and Daniel. And that's when she finds out like, oh, that's my sister. And he's like, keeps trying to dress back and forth. And then eventually he has to put his face into the pie. That part where the pie was dripping, that is all improvised. They didn't know that was going to happen. That was not planned. And I could swear that scene is so 
so well done that I thought that was written ahead of time, but no, he was just supposed to do that scene as normal, have the pie face, make a couple jokes and go about his life. But <laughs> because during the take, Robin Williams kept naturally going through the scene as it's dripping into the cup. Obviously, they but the kept whole it. him saying his chest on fire was totally in, in, the, in the plan. Now, yeah, that one, that one definitely was. But there was other scenes, though, while he was cooking that they actually ended up cutting out because he actually did get injured. He actually burned his hand on a pot in one of the scenes. So sometimes the improvisation doesn't really work well. And then, of course, there's some planned scenes. Uh, the fire one was definitely planned. And that's good because for safety reasons. But still, though, one of my favorite scenes in the movie that I always remember, even as a kid, that whole cream falling into the coffee. I was about to say, like, you kind of have to plan the fire one, at least, just for safety and legal and insurance reasons that one has to be planned now here's another one that wasn't planned the teeth falling into the wine glass i thought that was planned this entire time watching it growing up but when i looked it up it was to the point i think only the director and robin williams knew everybody's reaction at the table is very genuine because that was not supposed was to happen supposed to happen <laughs> Yeah, it was supposed to be just another conversation where it was like sarcasm and so forth. Because remember, there's still extra 30 minutes of the film. So who knows what other conversations they were supposed to have. But I thought it was really funny because Pierce Brosnan, after working with him for a while, he started jumping on his improvised scenes. So that's when he comes in with the spoon. And I love it because Robin Williams is so fast with it. He's just like, oh, thank you for the spoon. Okay, let's let's pitch this together. Get this out. Like all that was improvised. It was that's really insane. awesome. I love that. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was planned for sure because like right before he actually goes to take like a sip of the wine, you can see the teeth slipping just a little bit. Yeah, but you can just push that with your tongue. That's why it was awesome that he came up with that. That makes a lot of sense. That was a very impressive display. The whole like dinner scene back and forth of going between the two different tables. And of course, as he got progressively more drunk, he started wearing the lipstick and wearing the perfume until eventually he just came back to the table in full Mrs. Doubtfire get. Yeah confession when i was a kid i didn't even know that was like alcohol because i was just a kid i didn't know on screen i don't put that together as a kid like oh that's alcohol so growing up i thought he just made that mistake because he was being rushed when i watched it recently oh yeah that made so much sense i was like that dude's getting fucked up <laughs> you know <laughs> like oh get him another double he had like three doubles to start with and then he had a glass of wine he chugged and then he went back for like one or two more doubles i mean <laughs> so that scene made even more sense why he was bumping into the stuff why he was stumbling why he fell in the chair when i was younger i thought he just did that because he just made mistakes like oh he's just rushing around so much he's just stumbling because he's trying to remember oh what table i'm supposed to where i'm supposed to go but now makes way yeah more sense. honestly even as an adult i did kind of lean on like the mis being rushed around until i he's like here have a du another double i'm like oh this dude's fucking wasted <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> he's absolutely sloshed out of his mind yeah, and you can see it because he started making mistakes where it was even if you were being rushed, you you wouldn't make these type of mistakes. Like where he turned and he slammed into the wall, that made more sense because he was drunk, especially by the point where it all came, started coming down. Because yeah, I mean, especially with how much he was running around, it probably ran in his system much oh, yeah. quicker. So I did want to take a brief moment here to definitely talk about the cast. I did actually recognize most of the main cast. Of course, I recognized Robin Williams, Sally. Fields, Pierce Brosnan, and Mara Wilson. Other than that, I have no clue who the rest of the cast is. You don't know. Oh my God, what's his name? It's going to bother me. Harvey Fire uh, Firestein. No clue. It's Fierstein. 
Fearsome, thank you. Yeah, he does a lot of voice work where he plays like that. Like, I don't, it's almost like a raspy, like, like psychic. He's also in Hairspray. Okay, I have seen Hairspray. Well, the Broadway, not the movie. Okay, I have not seen the Broadway. He was in Mulan, though. Who do you voice? Yao. Ah, okay. In your defense venture, that's about it. Everyone else in the film played supporting roles in other films. They didn't really have a big name to really be carrying like a movie poster or something like that, especially for a movie back in 1993. So in your defense, you actually hit the most popular people and it makes total sense. Fun fact, fun fact about this, because this was in 93, he still wasn't chosen yet to play James Bond in GoldenEye. The director, he was contacted by MGM and they were like, hey, we have a great connection with you and we really want to get your opinion. Who do you think would be a good James Bond? And he was like, hey, I had this guy, Pierce Brosnan, in this film I just wrapped up. I think he'd be a perfect Bond. So his recommendation was a big chunk of why Pierce Brosnan became James Bond. Yep. Freaking awesome. Small world, man. Even in Hollywood. Who would ever thunk it? I mean, have you watched uh, Forrest Gump? Yes. Yeah, she was Mrs. Gump. Oh, okay. So I do know her from something else. And she was also in the Homeward Bound movies voicing uh, Sassy the Cat. I didn't know she was Sassy Cat. I love those Homeward She was Sassy the Cat. Michael J. Fox was Chance the... Oh my God, this is going to bother me. I know what type of dog is. American Bulldog. Yeah, I think it was an old guy. Don, uh, yeah, Don Meche. Now, since you recognize some people in this film, where was Robin Williams' half brother? That's a trick question, right? His half brother was in the film. Was was he the? uh, I don't know. How about you, Regent? You want to take a quick guess? No, I. In both of your defense, it wasn't like there was much of another male character in this film, other than the three, two to three, pretty much. But he was the bartender. At the swing really? Yep. He didn't really have much of a speaking role. I don't think he spoke at all, but he was definitely obvious in the screen because Pierce Brosnan went up saying, hey, I'd like to get four T's. He made his T's. And that's where the conversation where Pierce Brosnan's pal was like, hey, I see you dating that girl from the office and this and that. And then Robin Williams, or I should say Daniel, I should actually say Miss Doubtfire at this point, throws the lime at his head. That was the guy in the back just prepping the drinks. So that was really cool. And once I saw him, I was like, wow, he kind of does look like Robin Williams. He had more of a full beard, but you could still see some of the distinct things like his eyes the way his face was featured but hey get oh, your yeah. family smart. i loved the line about when he threw the lime at pierce brosnan and he's like it was a drive-by fruiting dairy yeah <laughs> it was a drive-by fruiting <laughs> so on a quick note because i know you both like plays you know this is based off a book and that there's a play do you know about i both do facts? know there's a play you mean the Regent? broadway one I mean, to me, it's a play. It's Broadway, I mean, not a you play. have plays, stage presentations. Jesus Christ, Regent. For us simple people, it's all the same thing. We're not going to that road by <laughs> simple. I'm going to educate and broaden your horizons, damn it. Well, then tell us about whatever this is that I don't even know what yes, term to so use. So it is a musical, first and foremost. It just came back onto Broadway, I think, right before Halloween, actually. Back when we were talking about Beetlejuice is when they did the announcement that Mrs. Dalfire was coming back on stage. And literally the caption was, hello, dear. The lights are on. We're back home. Back on Broadway was like the caption for their Facebook page. Yep, oh, really it came cool. out Black Friday 2019. Do you either you plan to watch? Because I know you all are into that musicals, Broadway. I might. It depends. 
Well, I know the theater. It's in the Sondheim Theater. Sorry, Stephen Sondheim Theater, because I know people in my circle of Broadway fans would be upset if I didn't include Stephen because of his commitment to Broadway. But yes, I would definitely want to go see it at some point. Okay. And now, how about the book? Did you know it was based on a book? Have you heard anything about I it before? I did not. I had no clue there was a book. I knew there was a book, but I didn't realize it was Madame Doubtfire, not Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, never knew it was a book. I literally thought this was just something Robin Williams came up with in his mind, because we know how crazy that can get. Plus, with how much is improvised, I wouldn't doubt it's heavily straight from the book, but probably did the book justice in a lot it of ways. It probably too. did. If anyone out there has listened to musical of Mrs. Doubtfire or seen it, let us know. And if you've read the book, let us know how accurate it is according to the movie or how accurate the movie is to the book. I said that backwards. Well, I know I am tonight and listening to it tomorrow when I go to work. That's for darn sure. Now, this brings up something, it makes sense, but I also wasn't thinking about it too much, is that this movie commercially was an outstanding success. They've made so much money off this film. I, I hope Robin Williams ended up getting some royalties or something off of this, because I think it was like a $25 million budget, and it made like four, $450 million. This thing was a complete Ooh, success. That's a pretty penny. So it really goes to show how good of acting Robin did it. But not just Robin. I know we're giving him credit, but you can also give it the rest of the cast credit, too. They really played their roles well. The kids were believable. Pierce Brosnan did pretty well because sometimes when I watched it when I was younger, I felt like he was the villain. But on this most recent viewing, I think it came across him as a villain because we cared about Robin Williams so much. But ultimately, and his name was Stu in the film. Stu really wasn't a bad guy in the film. He was just, you know, the handsome guy with money who was attracted to this woman with children and he wanted to date her and he was happy to bring the children along with and I commend him for that and everyone else did a really good job who they were they were very believable uh, even Daniel's brother he was very fun to watch on screen because he was a very supportive brother as well and they could laugh and joke and he matched Robin Williams energy so he was very believable as his brother oh, yeah, too. I don't think there was a single dull performance in this film and I'd have to agree with you if I had seen this when I was younger I would have seen Stu as a villain but as as an adult, I can just look at him and like, I, no, he's actually like a pretty stand-up guy. We just happen to see Daniel as the hero of the story, even though he's technically not the hero of the story. He's just the main focus of the story. Yeah, that's why I love that term protagonist and antagonist. As a younger person, I would have thought Stu was the antagonist, but nope. If anything, I would say almost the concept of the divorce, the legal system when it comes to, you know, parental visitation and so forth. I would almost look at that as the antagonist and not a particular individual because I don't feel like the mother was a negative in this film either because she had stuff she had to take care of too. I feel like it was more of a concept of things was more of the antagonist. I'd agree with you. I feel like this movie did a really good job not villainizing anyone in particular of course you do see like arguments and you can definitely see some flaws in people but it does a really good job at not being too one-sided because the moment you see daniel going through something then the mother sally fields will express that she had all of this going on and it was one of the reasons why the divorce happened I mean, they did, like you guys were saying, they did very much of trying to show that these people are human. Nobody was perfect in the scenario. Everyone had their faults, but there was no skewing that line of, oh, we're focused on this person as the bad person, or this person's always the perfect angel. Like, they were trying to show it mature, but try to keep it relatable for a family movie. It's starting to feel like a more and more like marriage story the further we get into conversation about the whole plot as a whole. <laughs> yeah, except for a drywall being punched and someone gets Heimlich instead. 
hey, there was 30 minutes of film cut out. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Who knows? Adam Driver may have just not gotten the role of Stu in this film. Uh, no, that'd be Tim Allen that'd be doing that. Guess what? I cannot believe you just said that. You're because... welcome. <laughs> Tim Allen was offered both roles of being either Daniel or Stu in the film, and why? he turned them down. I don't know. I don't know why any of these actors be turning things down. Because for Daniel, you have to understand, no matter what terminology you want to put it, drag or whatever, there's a lot of men who just don't want to put on a dress. And I could see if Tim he didn't want to do that. He got offered the role of Santa Claus, and that's when he started doing the actual filming for that movie. Oh, shit. That matches up pretty well. Because he did that movie, and then he got Toy Story the following year. He was on Disney's production company, Walt Disney Pictures. Both Santa Claus and Toy, and Toy Story and Pixar. So that, that Disney money. I feel you could argue back and forth either way with that because you don't necessarily know always Hollywood's timing with things, especially with PG. So I think that is a valid argument to it, but I don't know. I'm convinced that would be the only reason. I don't know if I could see Tim Allen in this role, though. Either of them. Yeah, and that's that's more what I mean. I, I feel like it was probably not a fit for him, especially all the movies. I've seen a bunch of Tim Allen movies, and I couldn't see him being it. Especially not the Jack dude with all the money. Yeah, the Tim, the two man. Originally, tater. there was a rumor of a sequel back in 2014 that the Elf screenwriter David Barenbaum was going to get the green light to work on a second draft, but they had to scrap it because, unfortunately, of Ron Williams passing. Yeah, and to expand on that, they actually came up with a sequel a long time before that because that's from 93 to 2014. What ultimately happened was about every five to almost 10 years, someone did present a script, but Robin Williams turned it down. And I think he had a good reason too because he what he was saying was there were scenarios where like the kids went to college and he would go out there, but he what he noticed was it just wouldn't make sense for him to put on all the, the makeup and stuff because ultimately the kids know who he is. So the the scripts just didn't make sense to him in 2014 they did approve of a script at that point but you know he passed away before they could really get things going so it's, it's really unfortunate and it's a big coincidence but yeah they actually went on record in the beginning of 2014 saying hey we are we have finally got a good script and we're beginning development on production on this and then it's later that sad yeah, and you know, I know we're not going to go down his passing. Robin Williams has left an amazing legacy. The movie did not need a sequel. Even if, let's say, he was able to make that even before he had passed away, it just wouldn't have done... I can't see it doing any justice. It would have just been probably a fun movie to watch Robin Williams again, because he's always fun to watch in whatever he does. For that far out, I just couldn't see myself. None of Nothing would make sense to me that would be fun to watch. You would compare it almost too much yeah, to the I original. Yeah, I would not want to see a sequel to this film, just due to, I think... I think this movie in itself is a complete and whole story open close book done and if you go to revisit it you could ruin any sort of legacy that the film might have yeah how about you regent did you how do you For like the vast the majority of his work a once and done movie was very much his forte and i think he would have kept that going because had it not had the right magic or right spark that he was looking for or that he could contribute he wouldn't put his name his his legacy or effort into it well, you're right. Did he ever make a sequel? Did was he, he in the second Aladdin film? Technically, yes. But then the third one, they kind of screwed him over with contracts because of his comedy and some of his wording got back to Disney and it did not end up so well. So they hired the one voice actor from The Simpsons to reprise Genie or to take over as Genie. And that went really bad. But yes, to the point though, I think that might be the only sequels would be yeah, animated. I can't think of any film where he did a sequel. 
So to wrap things up, I like to drop some trivia for the film. One last piece, because I know I've brought up the whole extra amount of scenes that was cut out. A big chunk of them actually was revolved around a subplot that never made it to the film. It was actually going to be where Daniel was arguing with his next door neighbor in the apartment. And they were just going to have some random feud that was going to be put into the movie at periodic points. It is in the DVD releases. So I might actually Google later on just to watch them because I would really like to see what that whole subplot was but that's just something pretty neat i respect why they took it out the film because they felt like it just wouldn't mesh well because there's already enough subplots with the divorce him trying to get the job the whole doubtfire thing which is the whole movie and a couple other things so they just didn't want to add more too much plots to the story another thing that robin did was to test the suit out when he became a stoutfire testing the make out makeup out he actually went to a sex shop and bought a dildo and wanted to see if anyone one could recognize him. That's the shit that Robin Williams does. The cashier did figure out it was him. Oh, he, he kept paying out. attention to his mannerism <laughs> voices, like Robin. And yeah, there's a, there's definitely some type of video out there from the studio of, of that interaction. They probably had to get a non-disclosure agreement signed or anything. Speaking of that, thank you again, Regent. One of the challenges that the studio had with the film was Robin Williams did so much references to real life stuff. It was a nightmare to get clearance on a bunch of things because things like the Dances with Wolves reference, references to TV shows, catchphrases, because Robin Williams being like a stand-up comedian, improvised type of comedian, he, he doesn't care about that kind of stuff of like, can I get clearance? He's just going to say it to make the joke. Well, that's the thing about these movies is you can't just reference anything you want because you can get sued. So I could only imagine there's already a lot of references in the movie and I could only imagine what didn't make it into the film but yeah they went on record saying like it was a nightmare just trying to get references because they essentially had to hire someone to go through all the clips and make sure they had a whole list of who they had to go to to make sure they had clearance on a lot of things the things that people don't yeah, know about copyright movies. is a bitch yeah which kind of always got on my nerves when it comes to that stuff but we can always talk about it another time a couple more things the mask the prosthetic mask that's in the film so you know he'll have the mask in his hand he kind of just takes off his face that is actually not the same mask he actually legitimately wears in the film i thought it was the same mask i thought they used that i don't know if you knew that but the makeup he wears in the film it's actually about five to six different pieces to put on his face so in the film where he's like sliding the mask on or he kind of takes it off the one that flies to the street that's literally just there as a prop they never made that type of mask I for him to figured, wear because i used to watch a show about out, like movie VFX makeup artists and how they use different prosthetics to create a different look. They almost never did like full face masks, especially not for something that looked human. They would just modify the face with different pieces. Okay. Yeah, actually, this was my first time hearing you say that and then knowing about this in the film. Whenever I see another film like this, where they have like a mask like that, that supposedly the person actually wears, I'm definitely going to put that more into thought now. Like things like Mission Impossible, that stuff makes sense where you can't really make a prosthetic mask that perfect that you can easily, you know, put on. That stuff made sense. But in this film, I guess growing up as a kid, I just thought it was the same thing that he actually did wear and then he just took it off. So it was just good editing to me and good way they've 
they use their props. So on to my last trivia for the film. I don't know if you two knew this, but the house that the family originally was in, that's actually a real house in San Francisco. And here's what's even crazier. In Miranda, so the mother and Daniel's conversation, technically Mrs. Doubtfire, when he's calling us Mrs. Doubtfire, and they're actually having the first real conversation over the phone. And she's like, oh yeah, that's great. Come over, we can do an interview. The address she gives for the house is actually the real address for the house in San Francisco. It is now turned into a tourist location and also memorial for Robin mm -hmm. Williams. That's sweet. Yeah. So I just thought it also was pretty cool that like you don't normally put the real address of a house in the movie because I, I doubt they do that anymore now because of how much people visit things and stuff like that. And who knows, maybe in the early 90s, it might not have been such a big deal. So they just didn't care. But I just thought that was strange that they were like, let's use the real address. They could have made that shit up. No one would have known, known the difference. But they used the real one. I guess. Heck yeah. My final message, I think the movie is really great. I enjoyed the movie way more this time around. That doesn't typically happen for me, especially with films that I've seen more than once. But this one, it went from a movie, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it's a good Robin Williams film. It's now moved up to my top five Robin Williams films that I cannot believe I've went this long without watching it or appreciate it as much as I have. Ultimately, it's an eight out of 10 in my book, and that's given a, a lot of good praise. I can't give it any higher, mostly because there are just a few elements in the film that I feel like are not noteworthy enough to give it such a high status as like a 10 out of 10 or even 9 out of 10. The story is ultimate believable. It's a film that feels like it's a Robin Williams film with other people in it. I feel like from a storytelling standpoint, that stuff can be nice for entertainment, but I can't necessarily say like, oh, this is such a amazing film because I feel like I'm just watching Robin Williams be Robin Williams, which is still fun to watch, but that's also kind of a hindrance to a perfect score. But I don't mean that in like a negative way way it's just i can't give it a perfect score i would give reason. this film seven and a half out of ten i thoroughly enjoyed it thought it was really well done it was hilarious funny tugged at your heartstrings a little bit made you feel a little bit so that was all good overall i just enjoyed this film seven out of ten for me but I do have a question, though. Why don't you give it a higher, I feel higher, like it's though? imperfect in some ways to where I don't feel like some moments had a chance to breathe, per se. Like some of the heavier notes didn't really have a chance to breathe due to comedy, which, don't get me wrong, I like the comedy. It just took away from the serious bits a little bit. And that's why I wanted to ask, because I feel like we're on the same page. I know I kind of pinned it mostly on Robin Williams, but he is the humor in the film for the most part. But yeah, I do agree with you. That's the exact same film. So we're on the same page it. there. How do you feel, Regent? I would have to say anywhere between eight and eight and a half out of ten. Still one of my favorite movies of his growing up. Brings back a lot of good memories of reminding me of what his career offered me as a kid. So it was genuinely funny. You felt good when he when Robin Williams was on the screen on the screen making everybody laugh or when he was being serious, like you felt the pain he was going through. It's not like you guys said, it's not his best movie, but it's still a very good movie against all the other movies that are out there in his catalog. Listeners, thank you very much for listening. Cookie, thank you very much for joining us. All right, listeners, always. thank you very much for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, a like, share, review on whichever platform you are probably listening to this podcast on would be greatly appreciated and is an absolutely free way to support the podcast. Another free way to support the podcast is to tell a friend. Telling a friend is another absolutely fantastic way to support the podcast. It lets someone know that you personally enjoy the podcast. It has content that you enjoy, topics that you enjoy. And it's overall, if a friend recommends something to you, you're more than likely going to want to try it. Go ahead and do those two things but just know that your listenership is more than enough for me again thank you very much for listening we hope you enjoyed and i hope you have a wonderful day bye
Thank you.